1: My fucking ashtray is going fucking crazy. Lightning, oh my god. All right. Um, Jim
0: Cantori needs to be there.
1: I don't even know who that is. Oh, dude, it's crazy.
0: The dude from the Weather Channel, man. Oh, really? Look at that. Oh, South, South Florida in all its glory.
1: Yeah. I'm here at the scene. The wind is blowing at six knots? <laughs> I don't even know what six knots is. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're mobile right now because I don't want to set up a laptop and ra- oh, you're live. That's horrible. Why'd you do that to
0: me? I don't, I don't know. Just cause. It was time. Just cause it was time.
1: Alright. By the way, I love this Splendida shirt. That's one of my favorites you've done so far.
0: Thank you. I'll have it up on the website here soon.
1: Nice. But,
0: yeah, so Phil is on his phone because, I guess, a miniature Hurricane decided to show up and roll through. Uh, So he's going to be on his phone at least temporarily. Maybe if things get better, he'll switch over to his computer. But it doesn't matter because... Here we are, episode 171 of Snakes and Stogies, part of the Herpetoculture Network, which is part uh, of a great community. And then that is also brought to you by blackboxcages.com. Check them out. Facebook, Instagram, go on the website, look at racks, look at cages. If you end up wanting to buy something, when you're at checkout, in the discount code section, put THN. Save yourself a little bit of money, <clears throat> get yourself something nice. Um, if you are on Instagram or also subbed to our YouTube channel, I just posted a video of the XA3 Bio 18 that I uh, just finished. The percentum, female percentum is in that now, decked it out. Um, it, you know, a lot of you are here on a weekly basis and you've heard me talk about this build and stuff, and it finally happened and I finally got it done. So, did a cool video on that, sort of just outlining the whole process of that. Uh, talked a little bit about the crepe myrtle purchase that I make and how I go about doing those. And uh, I'm happy with it. It looks good. Feedback's been really cool. She seems pretty content with it.
1: And um, I think it looks good, man. I still I still think uh, it, you, you got to have some kind of backdrop eventually. But I think it's a hell of a start, man. It looks great.
0: I just don't want to deal with like trying to apply the background and all that stuff. I don't, I don't know. It does. It's not as green as I was hoping it would be. So I guess I should have uh, expected that at least a little bit with the bamboo drying out over the last couple months, but I put it yeah, in there. And he, like this is awfully, green. awfully like drab, awfully earth Tony for the Vietnam type deal. I'm happy with it. She's happy with it. That's all that matters. It looks good.
1: Yeah, man, I really like that video of her all sprawled out in the cage. I thought it looked great. Very, yeah, yeah. Very mamba-ish.
0: Dude, they're a great species for that. And I, I need to do a video on that species in particular, which I've been planning to do one. I just wanted to get more time with them before I, you know, tried to, uh, you know, come out with a, a video of any position sort of authority on the species since I really I haven't had a whole lot of time with them um, but I think it's uh, I've had them long enough at this point to kind of get a good feel for them and be able to, to say where I where I put them on the on the list of, of species and stuff to keep and, and whatnot so at some point I'll do that here soon the uh, the biggest struggle has been I've been shooting them on my phone and I would to Reinstall Dropbox and resubscribe to Dropbox to move the files over so I can get them on my computer to get them into the editing software to then be able to upload them. Um, but I mean, now that I'm paying for Dropbox for at least the next month, I guess I can go ahead and, and do that. So,
1: yeah, man, it can't hurt. And still Google Drive, still works good. Well, right?
0: See that, yeah, and the issue with that has been. Like I'll upload a video, and so you know the video that I made yesterday, that was probably like 18 different videos that I took throughout the process. One of them was like a, a gig, and so all the smaller ones would upload and fine, but if I tried to put that that like the larger videos in there, uh, Google Drive would just sit there and say it was uploading, and nothing would ever happen for like half a day. And so I finally was like, guess I'm just gonna I'm gonna use Dropbox and just
1: get yeah. it over with. Yeah. I mean, you really can't go wrong with Dropbox. Yeah. But it's up. It's
0: there. Check it out. Um, some of the corns that have hatched out recently are starting to have their first sheds. So start getting everybody sexed and then get some uh, some feeding trials underway. Nice. They're, uh, they're looking good, man. Some of those, I, I like Tessera, but man, some of those, those normal pattern babies that are coming out are, are just smoking. So there's going to be a, some hand, some holdbacks there.
1: Nice. Nice.
0: Uh, I mean, and then the, you know, the room is still kind of all over the place with me having to rearrange stuff. So that's been a little frustrating. I'm hoping to have everything sort of back to normal this weekend. Uh, or sometime this week. And have my my room back. Because it's been. I hate having to rearrange stuff. I hate having to do that shuffle. That we're all too familiar with. But. It would be nice to have it done. Uh, I am actually planning to. Downsize on some things. Uh, with this rearrange. I. Came to the. The, to terms with the fact that i do could could use to thin out on some things so uh, within the next uh probably week or two i plan on sort of getting a list together of some stuff i'm going to be parting with uh nothing chondro related mostly some you know here and there some corns and um, some other stuff so be on the lookout for that
1: nice you gonna morph mark anything or no
0: i don't know i have one i i don't Probably not. Just because it's really not going to be that much. And I got this fly that will not go away. Oh, my God. see if I can get it. I think I got it. I don't know. But uh, Black Box Cages, check them out. Got derailed there for a minute. Um, Use the code THN at checkout. Save yourself some money. Puget Sound Pythons, speaking of Morph Market, go follow them. See what they have for sale. Jeff and Kendra are awesome people that we are fortunate to call friends, uh, producing some awesome stuff, really choice, all Python projects, um, and then Fulvius Apparel. So I finally put together a code for podcast listeners that I am not really posting anywhere else. So if you are listening to this, if you go to FulviusApparel.com, get yourself some shirts, use the code THN at checkout as well, uh, and podcast network listeners will get 15% off their order. So, as a thank you to all of you that hang out with us here on Mondays or listen to us after the fact, uh, you know it's it's exclusive. You have to be listening to hear it. I don't I don't post it publicly. What are you smoking on this windy, rainy night?
1: Well, I actually. um, Can you hear me? Okay, or no? Can you hear me okay, Smut, Smitty? Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, sorry. It got a little laggy from the storm. I actually got a uh, Placencia 149. Wow, that is way Ooh. farther away than I thought it was. Placenta. Placenta. And uh, I was actually really excited about this smoke. Um, I haven't had one in a very long time. And uh, and then this happened. So I'm going to give it a minute and we'll see how she rolls.
0: I got you. I decided, so I went to the shop today after work, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna get me something different. Haven't had one in a while. I got a leaf by Oscar. Nice, a Maduro. So a lot of people you see these on the shelves, and a lot of people are like, do I just smoke it like this? So it's sort of their their spiel or their gimmick uh, is instead of wrapping it in cellophane, they wrap it in a tobacco leaf, and they claim it helps with aging. I claim it just helps. Dry the cigar out even more. So the Corojo in these is fantastic. The Sumatra is fantastic. The Maduro I was never particularly crazy about, but I'm about to smoke one again for the first time in a while. And then uh, the um, the Connecticut's actually pretty good too. Nice. If you unwrap it beneath this crunchy husk is a nice Maduro.
1: And I've I'll, always been good with the leaf, man. I, I, yeah, I, I it was
0: it. it was a favorite for a long time when I was first getting into cigars, man. Uh, you know that that Sumatra, especially. Um, but I don't know. Over time, you know, your palate changes. And Oscar Valadares, who's the the people that make this, um, you know, a lot of their tobacco they use a lot of Honduran tobacco. Which, if you've listened to the show for any sort of extended period of time, I'm not the biggest fan of Honduran tobacco, just from a flavor standpoint. Um, but the leaf is good. It's always, it's been good. It's good. It's good smoke.
1: Yeah, man. I try and keep at least one or two in the box at any given time. I think I've got one right now, but to be honest, I mean, the last time I smoked one was Daytona, to be really honest.
0: Are you ready for Daytona?
1: Oh, baby. I was born ready. Oh, the rain's starting to come. Hold on. Hold on. Uh uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh-oh.
0: Run, Phil.
1: Oh. Back to my my safety awning, but I honestly uh, this awning is a lot taller than my last one, and I have a feeling I'm going to get soaked. So the only thing that's left right now is the microphone, uh, the actual like a the microphone on the stand. I brought the computer, everything inside. So if I uh, if I disconnect, I'll, I'll I'll set myself back up inside and go from there.
0: I got you. See, I thought that was like you were in like a screened in porch cuz from the the angle that you've had the last couple weeks since you've been there it always it seemed like it was enclosed.
1: So so this was that white picket fence didn't used to be there and then when Hurricane Wilma came in 2004 uh it actually there was a whole cage, screen cage that came up to about the top of that tree and uh Hurricane Wilma took that sucker right down and put it right in the pool. So uh yep it's very expensive to rebuild those things and, uh, it just wasn't worth it. So that's, we got the white picket fence now. Oh man, it is whipping.
0: Adam wants to know if, if you blow in the hurricane, if he can have your corns.
1: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. If you can find them in the rubble. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it's, it's very, it is difficult. I forgot how difficult it is on the phone to like, check the comments and stuff, but I'm looking at it now. (laughs) And, uh, I, I, I saw Lisa's comment about the wind chimes, so that's why I showed them earlier. But uh, but yeah, it looks like oh, it's starting to come down now.
0: I gotta be I gotta be real desperate to to have to use my phone for this. I don't know.
1: It's uh, I just didn't oh. want my my MacBook Air to get you know soaked.
0: Yeah, no, no, I got so,
1: it. I feel you.
0: You know, I mean, the frustration for me is like phones now don't have the 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 3.5 millimeter jack for headphones now. So like yeah. I have to use my Bluetooth headphones and usually, you know, the battery life on those isn't great. And then the audio quality isn't great. And it's just... well. And
1: see, like right now I'm using uh, the normal earbuds that plug in the lightning cord on the iPhone. And I always love those cordon ones, man. They work like a million bucks. They sound crystal clear. I mean, I don't know how it's translating on StreamYard right now, but like you in my head is crystal clear. So...
0: Yeah, I mean, you just sound... Like your connections, low ish, but not, not horrible. Like you're, you can understand what you're saying. It just yeah. sounds like you're, uh, you're circa 2005.
1: So, yeah, man. Hey, it worked for NPR, right? That's right.
0: So, I don't know how they did the block talk thing for so long, man. That was audio <laughs> quality was enough for me to just, you know, I struggled. Nice. So, when we started the podcast, I swore, I made a vow we would not use blog talk and that I would figure out another way to, to get more clarity and stuff. So here it is. The, uh, next corn clutch is due to hatch any day. That's the ladies Island female to the castaña motley male. We're on day 76. So I was going to expect, and I was hoping I'd come home from work today and that they'd be, they'd be, you know, hatching and I would see some noses popping out, but I haven't yet. So, and to continue to see. I moved those from the incubator like a week ago prematurely. I should have just waited until they started pipping to move them out, but the uh, the egg boxes I used for that clutch and uh, the Baird's clutch that's next on deck to hatch, the eggs had, had blown up so much that they were starting to touch the lid, and so I had to, I wanted to move them into something bigger uh, just out of fear of that water and the condensation stuff drowning, whatever egg was, was touching the the top so um, this corn clutch is due to hatch but I think I may have may have delayed things by a couple days by moving things prematurely or uh, you know jostling stuff around or whatever I was as gentle as I could be and the eggs are, are healthy and
1: everything but
0: I don't know what the what the deal is
1: well time will tell you know I'm sure things will span out appropriately in that regard.
0: Well, I mean, I was, I was, I can't really trust my judgment anymore because after that first clutch with these hypos where I was expecting everything to be normal just with a bunch of hets, this clutch should be in theory given that the, you know, the females are originally wild caught. But at this point, who knows? I mean, I, weirder things have happened.
1: All right. Well, uh, it's actually whipping pretty good. So I'm gonna hang up and then I'm that gonna go. That umbrella's probably...
0: barely moving.
1: No, nah, but the it, the rain's coming at me, so I'm gonna go inside and uh, reset up so uh be right back.
0: Okay. All right. If Phil it if Phil was a real man, he'd he'd go and smoke that cigar inside. He'd set up right in the living room while his parents were watching T V or something and just smoke like a man be a man the uh so that corn clutch is next to hatch the uh baird's head hypo clutch is is due to hatch after that and then the rhino clutch is due to hatch while we're at daytona if my if my counting was right um and then the Jansen eye is due to hatch in September, and then that there's a second Baird's clutch that I was not expecting. Um, that was a four egg clutch, and that's that should probably be hatching around the same time as the Jansen eye, if I'm not mistaken. If not before that, so we'll see. So far, the Jansen eye egg is looking good. No signs of any issues. Um, I've been I've been leaving it alone religiously, like pretending it doesn't even exist. Even though it's surrounded by some other clutches in the incubator. Oh, and no, there's that second uh, that second clutch from the same ghost tesser female that all these hypos popped out of. Um, that's going to hatch. Probably around the time the Jansen and I will as well those aren't in the incubator those are up on the on the top shelf of the of the Cambro rack so they're pretty close to the ceiling of the of the room and I'm slightly concerned that I'll I'll forget about them and then look up and see a bunch of babies just popping out of that little tub because the lid sucks on that particular tub monday was fine work is absolutely bonkers right now it's got me all messed up. We recorded Thursday night with Rob, and I told Rob 8.30, and Jake was like, why are we recording later than we normally do? And I was like, what are you talking about? We always recorded 8.30. And he said, no, we recorded 8. And, like, I'm just all over the place. Feeling a little burnt, not gonna lie. Uh, you can get a hold of me just through the the... T H N page, the Palmetto Coast Exotics page, um, you know, either of those. Uh, the Fulvius page, Fulvius Apparel. The squirps are doing good. Um, I've seen some spermatophores where the it looks like the male is is at least attempted to to procreate, but no uh, no signs of, of a brood yet but they they pretty much just exist at the at the moment there's nothing uh nothing too exciting going on there so but they're still kicking all of them are doing fine I'm going to throw them some tiny tiny mealworms uh sporadically and check on them and keep on keeping on so I'm excited to start these these uh feeding experiment stuff with this this clutch of corns. I think there's only really I think four babies left to shed. And uh I'm going to start if they they should all have shed by Saturday. Um I'll weigh them on Saturday and then I'll feed them and then we'll kind of kick things into gear. I weighed them all again last night just out of curiosity, there was about a four or five day difference from the time that i weighed them initially to now. Um, And what I'm also doing is I'm, I'm averaging. So I I weigh the whole group. It's a group of 12. I'm weighing that whole group individually. And then when I'm done, I'm going ahead and getting the average of all of that. And I'm gonna start tracking the average of the group as well over time. uh, Just to see how that, how that changes if there's a, you know, a positive correlation there too. Um, And so far, what was surprising was with this weighing them the second time here yesterday, uh, all, so there was one that actually gained a little bit of weight. And when I say gained a little bit of weight, I'm talking like 0.3, 0.03 grams, like tiny amounts. Um, but then there was a few that had lost weight. Some of them, I think one of them lost almost a half a gram. And then the other ones, it was the same thing. It was like tiny little increments that they that they had lost. Uh, and that's without feeding them. You know, they haven't had a first meal or anything yet. So I did that just out of curiosity to see how much had changed from, from the time they had first been weighed to now. Uh, just, a, you know, a handful of days in between then. And interestingly enough, um, some of them did actually lose a decent chunk um who knows i just figured to get a good baseline before meals even started happening it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to get a couple weights in between that first feeding and now so we'll see i've got the spreadsheet made for each one tracking the date tracking the weight and then uh as time goes by i'll i'll sort of put it all together in a graph um I'll probably have to get the, the average weights in the two groups. So the cut and not cut groups um, average those out separately and uh, graph those overall. And that'll show kind of the group progression in general. And then if it even matters i mean data is data so i guess it won't hurt if i do end up doing all of them together in an average plotting that out if that big gigantic total average will will make any difference or if that'll kind of just i think that'll that'll more so coast is kind of my my hypothesis but we'll see phil just up and disappeared Oh, okay. I see Don Gallagher. This fly is driving me absolutely nuts. I think I got it. Yeah, it's been busy though. Um, definitely need to need to downsize a little bit. Um, you know, work right now is is nuts. So it's a little. It's been a little overwhelming, if we're being honest. Um, even podcast stuff, and when you're juggling full time job, that's just balls to the wall from nine to five. Currently, um, you know, juggling a family, juggling a big collection, juggling this stuff, the Fulvia stuff. It's uh, it's it's been a lot lately. I've been going to bed pretty damn tired, so. Let's see. Need to figure out how to make money building vivs and growing plants and shit. I, you know, with that that percentum setup, I really wanted to try and and do native plants as best as I could. And so I did some Googling. It was fairly brief, just to see if there were any commonly sold plants that were like native to Vietnam, because these are Vietnam Vietnamese percentum or co-rule them, whatever you want to call them. Uh, And I really, there really didn't seem to be anything that is kept or like propagated on a regular basis. That's something you can find at most, you know, most stores. Or nurseries for that matter. So, ended up going with that lemongrass and a spider plant. I couldn't even tell you where those are actually native to, but, uh, you know, it is what it is but i like the uh the the perches worked out really well and i'm glad i i still had them you know i haven't had a whole lot of time to work on those but i had some that were already coated and i had already sanded them and already finished them basically uh they just needed hanger bolts and stuff in them so i i had enough to literally have it so that they go from one side to the other across multiple perches and it creates you know an entire shelf basically that that spans the length of the cage it's all about using that uh the most space possible, you know that space efficiency in a in a given setup. Um, mostly, it was it was Roy, Blodgett, you know, and his uh, sulfurious setup with all native plants and stuff. I was like, man, I gotta I gotta do something like that, but it's tough. South American plants are, I'm sure, much easier to come across um, than than Vietnamese stuff. But she seems happy. The uh, Randy mentioned earlier, you know, he liked the little basket-looking deals. So those were some some pots that Walmart had for three bucks, and they're they're not terracotta; they're concrete. So that made them a little easier to break and not have them shatter into a bunch of tiny pieces, because that was kind of my concern was that I'd break them and I'd have nothing usable. Um but just a little flathead screwdriver and a hammer, you know, just kind of chisel at it a little bit in some spots and worked perfectly, split it right in half on some of them. And then I kept one hole. Um, that one, I actually had planned to have turned like sideways so that she could like hide in it. But then it has that hole in the bottom. And my concern, because I know it, it was inevitable that it would happen is that she'd find a way to get stuck in that. So I ended up just sitting it upright and then putting some of the little bamboo uh, with like the leaves and stuff in that just to kind of make it look good. She could still hide out in there. I thought about putting the water bowl in there to kind of hide it some. Um, but at the end of the day, really the only person that's in there looking at that on a regular basis is me and, and maybe the wife, if she's in there vacuuming or whatever, but I'm happy with it. It's all that matters. Got to play with the UV light a little bit. I don't think I, I, Seated the UV bulb all the way. Got to go back in there and and unscrew the, there's a cage, like a cover over the light so that the animals can't come in direct contact with it. I got to just unscrew that and adjust it some and put it back. But see, Henry said, most plants out there are South American. You would have to go to a specialty place for Vietnamese, Thai, Malaysian, etc. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. And I, I have a feeling that even if I did find some, they, I don't see them doing particularly well in enclosed in, in boxes. I think that if that grass will take off, that lemongrass, if that grass takes off, it'll look good. I let the wife in there. Yes. She's not really going in there right now because everything's all over the place, but... Normally, yeah, she'll go in there and you know check on the rhinos. She loves the rhinos, so she'll she'll go in there and mess with them a little bit. I'm excited for rhino babies. Eggs on those are looking good too. Be pretty sweet uh, to see some of those little little babies coming out. what would you keep in a room that was high sixties year round thinking Russian rats basement is an icebox, uh, Russian rats, definitely Dion's, uh, Dion's bimaculata, um, brettles. I don't think if you had, you know, obviously if you're, you're keeping stuff down there, you're not just going to have them ambient, you know, you'll have some sort of hotspot for them. I'm sure. But, uh, brettles would, would fit in. They're just fine, but, are you worried about moisture retention from keeping the plants watered? Uh, no, because I'm not really planning to like soak them on a regular basis. Like when I water my plants now, I let them get pretty dry, and with the pothos in particular, that's in most of the cages. When I see it to start to wilt,ing I'm like, okay, it needs it needs some attention. So I'll top them off and then leave them be. So with these, I'm not. I'm not planning on, you know, misting them necessarily. I I prefer to, when it comes to the plants in particular, I prefer to water those directly. Um, there's not a ton of substrate in the bottom of that. I, I put enough to cover the roots and make sure that the plants had enough to kind of plant themselves, um, and root and, uh, Yeah, I'll just water those directly. And then ambient humidity, you know, the black box cages, they don't have a ton of ventilation as is, but they have enough. So I I haven't had any issues with the Jansen eye or anything else that's in the black box cages, Uh, at least like your three footers and and larger that have basically the vents in the corners. Um, Those have all been fine sort of as is out of the box. I haven't had any problems, so. I'm I'm not too worried about it. It seems like it's actually kind of the the sweet spot for ventilation, um, where it retains enough to keep things you know the ambient humidity a little higher, but it's it's not so much that you're not holding on to anything and it's just bone dry in there all the time. So they I think they found a good a good medium for the two. The bio G's it's a little different because those have the screen sides, so they're much more open. Um, there he is. But even in those, like the only thing I had issues with keeping the in the Bio-G's uh, was a, there was a small conjure I kept in one for a while, and I just had shed issues, but that was 100%, I think, because the the retention of humidity was not really all that high. So, it just, you know, it is what it is. As soon as I put it in the camber rack, went right back to, to shed normal and everything. So, the rhinos, it's perfect for them. The rhinos need a lot of ventilation if I was using it for other stuff, like, you know, it'd be great for Neurodia. and boy, look at that hat. If you need high ventilation, get the bio G with the screen um, screen sides.
1: Hello. I'm back. I'm back with a real microphone in this. I don't think
0: room. I don't think your mic input is set to your mic though. Really? It doesn't Stand sound by. like it that blog talk effect
1: going on still yeah it's on USB device
0: no oh. maybe it's just a connection then
1: it could very well be people in the chat tell me if I sound weird so yeah I'm in the uh, I'm in the venomous room right now or uh, I can't say that anymore now it's just the snake room and uh, I just checked the Govee; it's like eighty-six point eight. Oof! Hell no, man. But it's only thirty-six percent humidity, and outside, where I just was, is eighty-six degrees, not exact because it's not a Govee, with seventy percent humidity. So, yeah, hmm. it's actually nicer in the snake room. <laughs> Thank you, my arid critters. Grab out
0: one of them there, Sarastes and show it all for us. You know, just grab one with your bare hands like
1: a real YouTuber. Oh, Hold on, I got it. There's a, there's a, in a, a stack, hang on.
0: Because if you have YouTube and you have Venomous, you're obligated by societal law to be an absolute moron. in in how you handle them. Look at those ventilation holes. I see nothing.
1: Well, I can't
0: open the thing. (laughs) Can't or won't. Won't. (laughs) They're just glorified sandbows, Phil. Come on. Don't be scared. Okay, it must be my connection or something then, because like I said, Phil just sounds...
1: Well, what's interesting is there's a cotton mouth on top of that one, and the cotton mouth was like, what the hell's going... Like, like all like looking around, like, what just happened? Here, I- you can see the label. Hold on. My neighbor. Here, that's what it looks like. There you go. <laughs> Cloud Force Design, check them out. What's new uh, down there? Oh man, um, you 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 done messed me up with this hat. Really? You done messed me up. You know, I was like, man, I'm not a big fan of trucker hats. It's just, it's just not my thing. But you know what? I'll give it a shot. You know, I'll give it a shot. And it's I mean, comfortable. It's, it's all as
0: about how. finding the. It's all about finding yeah, the right one, man.
1: Exactly. And then I um I sweat a lot, man. I mean, South Florida. Let's be real. I'm I'm a husky guy. And uh, this thing, it it's going to get the sweat. You know what I mean? The stains, oh, yeah. the salt. Yeah. But I still don't have it dripping down my face like other hats. Um, but all joking aside, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't keep Alterna. And you and I have spoken about this. And <laughs> Chris Painchab, that glorious, glorious man of him, um, he messages me and says, um, do you need Alterna? Or, or no, he says. He says you need Alterna with no punctuation. So I replied with, "Are you telling me or are you asking me?"
0: <laughs> Is that a questioner? And he's or and domain? he's like
1: he's just like both. And then him and I went down a whole rabbit hole and then uh, of conversation about Alterna. And then I basically realized I was like, you know, I never, I never got into him not because I don't like them because I'm a lamp or pelt this guy through and through, but it always seemed like it was that like upper echelon, that top tier keeper. You know what I mean? And I'm a big boy now. Maybe can, 27 years ago. But... I can keep alternate. Right. And I feel like my anxiety about getting babies to eat, I was, you know, casting that subconsciously onto adults or just keeping in general. You know what I mean? And uh, and then I just went down the alternate rabbit hole and I've just been looking at phenotypes and looking at lines and just looking at them. So they're on the Daytona list now. Yay. Yeah you're welcome yep well, yep yeah, yeah, thanks a lot thanks thanks a lot yeah so between you and mike gillen and chris i job I'm, I'm screwed so i actually and i went i just went and bought um i don't know if it's a newer book i guess it came out last year but it's literally called reptiles of the trans pecos have you seen that
0: oh well, no i haven't
1: i just i just ordered it from eco so uh, that should be here this week
0: Christian, so. I have some of those hats in stock. I don't think I have the black ones, but I have the gray and white ones. But I have to see what I have. I don't know if I have any more snapbacks or if they're all the small, medium flex fits, which are made for toddlers.
1: I also was going to tell you uh, off air, but we'll do it now since we're talking about hats. Uh, you got to make your boy a khaki Subak one, please and thank you. So if if I, can we, do it. if I can get it before Daytona, that would make me very happy. Or if you could, like get it like if I can get it at Daytona, then great. If not, you know, whatever.
0: Would you just would it just say subak or would it say subocularis? Oh
1: no, just say subak or bogey. Um, I think bogey might like throw like hurt- oh, you play golf? Yeah, or or it's like some air air uh, um, uh, air traffic control thing or fighter jet thing. I don't know, but yeah, if you did the what you and I were talking about doing like the H right, Right. Like the H yeah. bar here, and then just subhawk on top. I thought that'd be cool.
0: Oh, Jeff says he has a copy of
1: that book. Yeah, oh, up. nice. Um, Chris asked,
0: where was I talking about an Atheris book? Yeah, last week we were. Um, so in order to get that, what's the guy's name? Johan Schmidt, I think is how you pronounce it. So there's a guy over in, uh, I think he's German or Austrian, maybe both. I think it's Uh, he wrote it and it's it's over in Europe, but it's in English. Um, If you I'll send you the link because you can buy it from him uh, and have it. He'll ship it from Germany. And it's it's not actually terribly expensive in the grand scheme of books. It's really not that bad. And it's 100 percent worth worth every penny. It's such an awesome book. Nice. Um, You know, I won't I won't wax poetic about it because I did that last week for I feel like half the episode half the episode but um, <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll hunt down the link and send it to you yeah it's and, really good
1: uh, and jeff real quick is, is that transpecos book good I, I assume it is it, it looks quite comprehensive i mean i'm sure it doesn't go crazy in depth but it's basically all reptiles of the transpecos so pretty sure it's got a uh uh, uh in the cover so can't be bad if it's got a coleonics in the cover you know so, and I'm going full fledged Transpacos baby because the goal is alternate and subox at Daytona, but I'm probably gonna pick up
0: Transpacos
1: Copperheads
0: tomorrow. Yeah, but you know, you know what you're missing. What from the whole lot? Bear die. Bears. Bear
1: die. Maybe.
0: You gonna sit here and talk about alterna and subox and ain't even gonna mention bears one bit. Well, see, like I don't want to go
1: too crazy on rat snakes. I mean, I got corns, I got glades, I got one yellow that I'm debating pawning off on Jake. Do it. Yeah. Get a it's, bear. I, I kept that yellow to see what it turned into, and if it was a girl, I was just gonna give it. If it was a yellow girl, I was just gonna give it to Billy, and uh and if it turned out to be a glades, I was gonna keep it. And it's just getting yellower and yellower, and it's, I'm pretty sure it's a boy. So I'm probably just going to give it to Jake. Things meaner than sin. <laughs> I mean, it's still only eating pinkies, but still.
0: <laughs> um, Adam asked if beardy cares exact same as corns. Um, yeah, I'd probably say keep them a little drier, which basically equates to using a smaller water bowl uh they're also odd in the fact that they're almost like pop wind carpets in that they spend an unusual amount of time in their water bowl i've had some like adults that it's like every time i open the tub they're chilling in the water bowl there's nothing wrong they're not too hot there's no mites there's none that they're just they're a species that likes to just hang out in their bowl yeah. um which you would not expect from you know a, a arid desert i don't know would you consider that arid
1: what the Trans-Pecos? yeah absolutely <laughs> like, in
0: comparison to, like, where the Serastis and stuff comes from, though.
1: Yeah, but, it, so, I would consider the, I would consider Transpeco's most definitely desert. But desert has so many different genres within it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say it's mostly arid desert with montane ecosystems and scattered stepland. I think stepland is a really good thing. Yeah, because, like, yeah. because, like, you got, like, legit high temperature high altitude desert mountain ranges like the davis right but at the same time in between the lowlands it's all prairie you know and stepland it's it's where the desert meets the forest so to speak so
0: yeah yeah uh and as far as like one of the main differences i've noticed between bairds and other Pantherophis, for that matter not necessarily just corns is they don't seem to take well to large meals you know, adults can handle things a little better, but babies, like, they're a little more delicate. Not saying it in a way to like scare anybody away from bearded eye babies, but it's just one of those things where it's like you really can't push them like you can a corn. Um, and I've I've learned that many times over the last couple of years of having them. Um, you know, if they if they regurg like drop everything leave them be don't feed them again for like a month and then start really small and work them back up. Uh, they just don't seem to, to bounce back from that as well as, as like corns and some other Panther Ovas do. But other than that, I mean, yeah, the care is pretty much the same um, minor, pretty much everything in my room is kept ambient at this point, minus the ackies. Um, so everything's in the daytime right now, getting into probably the low to mid eighties and then having a decent night drop. Um, and lately I've actually been leaving the fan on in my room, not on like the, like the medium setting, not the high or anything like that, just to keep air circulating and stuff like that. And everything does fine. Everything digests fine. I don't have any problems. So it's just uh babies seem to be a little more, a little more delicate with feeding and feeding larger, larger meals. So,
1: would you say the same thing about Transpecos? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I found that out the hard way.
0: Yeah, and I mean, maybe it's a desert thing, and maybe it's it's something that's also in line with, like, rosy boas and them, you know, not keeping water bowls in with them. Uh, with the Transpecos, I definitely, like, I think with those even more so than the Bairds, Transpecos, uh, the water bowl needs to be, definitely needs to be on the smaller side rather than the larger Uh, And then ventilation is really, really important. They need a lot of airflow. I don't, they don't, they don't take to stagnant air well. I don't, I don't think at all. Um, I I never had any issues with mine. Um, But again, like a smaller than normal water bowl is what I would typically offer. Uh, Which I guess to put that into context. So, like a 32 quart tub would have like one of the standard. I don't know, five inch deli cups, six inch deli cups, maybe, um, you know, that's about yay tall or whatever. And that was, that was fine. So I know. yeah, it's those desert species, man. I think they're just, I don't know. Like I'm the more I see that kind of stuff, the more I'm convinced that, that, that whole sort of things that are adapted to that biome just seem to do better on smaller meals and not large meals. You yeah. Know? just the opposite interval where you're doing smaller stuff a little more often. Like I would do with the rhinos where I'm not feeding them. You know, I I don't even feed the, the adult rhinos, like adult mice. Really? I feed them smaller stuff and I just feed them multiples of it. And I, it's the same approach I take with, with those that I do with the subox and the bears and stuff.
1: <clears throat> well, uh, Jeff, thank you, by the way. Um, and I, I was going to say the same thing with like my subox, uh, I've only got one left because I've had a lot of learning to do and stuff that was told to me, oh, just do this. And that did not work well at all. Um, Right now I've got the one in a 19 court and he's been in there oof, well over a year, probably almost two years. And he's at the point now where he probably could go into something bigger, but he, he really doesn't need to. But when I started off with him, as well as my other ones, I had, I guess it. I use the PSU ceramic ones because they're cheap and they're white. You can see if there's dirt. They're durable, mm-hmm. and uh, I've dropped them on on tile and on concrete, and they they bear, I've had like one chip ever. But anyway, I started off with the big like six inches, and it just the the entire enclosure the, the the tub was just fogged out, and I was like, this yeah. is not going to work. Yeah, and then bad. I I went up switching to uh, I guess it's like an inch and a half or almost two inches, mm-hmm. and it, that worked phenomenally because it didn't raise the humidity enough but again i had lots of ventilation tons of air holes um but the only thing is though because it's a, it's an arid species that little tiny one inch one and a half inch bowl it dries up like yeah. that yeah so i just upgraded him to a three inch bowl and uh i'm basically letting it dry out wait a day or two and then fill it back up so Seems I think
0: the, the substrate you use, too, makes a big difference. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I keep a lot of my stuff. Um, those, the Wild Rose Pass that I had before they went to Gillen, I kept those on Aspen, mm-hmm. um, which if you've got something that has a lot of ventilation in it, that those water bowls, they just, it zaps all that moisture. Like those water bowls be be dry in no time. Um, cause that's the issue I have right now. I have some of those, those critter keepers, like the, not the tall yeah. ones, but like the longer flatter ones. Sure. I've got three or four corns in, in some of those and those water bowls are the ones that always dry out before. I, like, it's almost like I just, I just refilled it. Like where did it is all good. And it's, it's yeah. the combination of that fan running and circulating air on top of that, uh, you know, that substrate, which is you know, aspen or pine sucking it all out and before you know it everything's just basically a sponge outside of that bowl so yeah i don't it's it's interesting to see that i don't have that issue in some of the racks and the cambro tubs and some of these other setups but in those in particular where they they might as well be wide open on the top there's so much ventilation with those and i i do love those critter keepers i'm not gonna lie like those things are great do, especially for stuff like that but do you have
1: the critter keeper brand or do you have the nice thicker uh exotera ones
0: one of them, I think, is an exoterror one. The other three are, are critter keepers. Yeah,
1: dude, I love keeping, like, I've only kept sand vipers in them, but I love keeping dude, sand vipers. Dude, they're
0: perfect for that the, because dude, ventilation, Austin. man.
1: Dude, it's literally it's like. A, I, it's
0: the closest thing to, like, a screen cage for chameleons that you yeah, get for snakes without a exactly, screen cage. Exactly,
1: exactly. And, and honestly, it, yeah, it, it, that's a great analogy, too, because a screen cage, if a snake rubs in a screen cage, it's going to eat its face up if the snake rubs on this it's no different than it was just rubbing on a rock in the enclosure like it doesn't have the same effect as as wire mesh you know and uh, i put a piece of packing tape on you know the two the two little doors on the sides like the feeding doors yeah i just put a piece of tape on on those packing tape on those uh, like clear packing tape and I, I never open them so they're always sealed shut and then the lid on top it's not just a click down lid with those stupid little tabs that snap it literally is a slider So you have to, for those watching this, you have to slide it back and then it has a little lip that I can grab with hemostats so I don't have to put my hands there and I can actually lift the door open and dude, it works like a million bucks. Can't speak high enough about them.
0: Yeah, they're uh, definitely old school, but damn it, if they don't work, man.
1: For sure. For sure. And those Exeter ones, that plastic is so dense and so more, much more rigid. There's no the there's rounded no f- corners. Yeah, there's no flex to it. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I didn't even think it has a rounded that's corners. Right. Man, brilliant.
0: Yeah, that's what I've been using to to grow out some like two year old corns that are now. I got a couple of them that are getting to the point to where they can be upgraded to like a thirty two quart. But yeah, kind of taking my time. Yeah, man. But,
1: the beauty of corns.
0: That's right. Yeah, I got to I got to go through and move some stuff. I just got I'm I'm a, I'm like officially for the first time in a very long time like overwhelmed overall with everything going on. Like not just snakes but like work on top of snakes, on top of podcast stuff, on top of Fulvia stuff. It's just gotten uh Ooh. Is that the Wild Caught one, the Miami?
1: No, this is the
0: Abbott. No. Oh. <laughs> like, I love it when they do that. That like, oh, what
1: the what was that? A touched air. I, oh I, my I, god, I'm, what is it? I'm literally not even squeezing, like he's holding me. But dude, look at that belly. Yeah. And then that sides. I never get to do show and tell because I'm never in the snake room. But
0: I get tempted to do it some, t- some weeks, but then I'm like, then I got to move all the gear and stuff in there. And I'm like, nah. Yeah. Pass. Investigating.
1: Oh, now he's holding on to the wire mic- microphone. Crap. Come on, let go.
0: How many corns are in existence in the hobby worldwide? It's got to be like 100,000 plus. Oh, I'd, I'd venture to say it's gotta be uh, at least I would think seven figures between Europe and Asia and the US without a doubt Mike said okay. if only China would post their numbers, seems like a lot are going there this season. Yeah.
1: Yeah, most likely. Still enough for us though. That's
0: right. No shortage. Yeah. Uh so this week, sort of shifting gears a little bit. Uh we hear about or not necessarily hear about, but we see these names attached to taxonomy and different species. But I, I feel like it's it's things you see, but you don't really know the backstory on the individuals behind them. So I told Phil it'd be cool to kind of do like a regular thing where we, we talk about certain figures in early herpetology and names that you're likely to see attached to certain species and things. Uh and so for example, I think this week we're gonna talk about um Sir I don't know if you would pronounce it Belanger or Bulanger. Look at that I, guy.
1: I always thought it was Bullinger.
0: George Albert Boulanger. Send it to me. Is that mine? That's yours. Yeah. So Bulanger might sound familiar because uh Rhino Rat Snakes or Rheinkophis Um, There's a handful of other species that have been named after the guy. Normally, if you look at taxonomy of certain species, his name actually pops up with synonyms, you know, prior taxonomic nomenclature of species before it gets revised and somebody else comes in and changes it. Uh, so this guy's name is on a lot of stuff. So I, I did some, some reading and I actually have a page pulled up here uh, that I will I will read. Please do. You fellas know of any cigar rollers that use domestic tobacco from the mid-Atlantic? We grow tobacco for early tidewater Maryland education. At my job, makes me curious. No, a lot of U.S. tobacco is is used for uh, cigarettes and dip. You don't see cigar a lot of cigar tobacco coming from the states. Um, If you do, it's usually like Connecticut, River Valley stuff. And then Florida now has some some Florida grown tobacco for Florida cigars and they charge a lot of money for it. Oh yeah.
1: Taking advantage of that sun-grown action. That's right. Uh, So George Albert
0: Bullinger was born in October 19th, 1858. He died November 23rd, 1937. Was a Belgian-British zoologist who described and gave scientific names to over 2,000 new animal species, chiefly fish, reptiles, and amphibians. Boulenger was also an active botanist during the last 30 years of his life, especially in the study of roses. Interesting. Uh, let's see. He was born in Brussels, the only son of Gustave Boulenger, a Belgian public notary, and Juliette Perriard of, Val- of Valenciennes. Valencia. I don't know. Uh, he graduated in 1876 from the Free University of Brussels with a degree in natural sciences and worked for a while at the Royal Belgian Institute of Natural Sciences in Brussels as an assistant naturalist studying amphibians, reptiles, and fish. He also made frequent visits during this time to the Museum National de Historie Naturelle in Paris and the British Museum in London. Uh, in 1880, he was invited to work at the Natural History Museum, then a department of the British Museum by Dr. Albert C.L.G. Gunther. Albert assigned to Gunther. the And assigned to the task of cataloging the amphibians in the collection. His position in the British Museum meant that he had to be a civil servant of the British Empire, so became a naturalized British subject. In That's 1882, awesome. he became a first-class assistant in the Department of Zoology and remained in that position until his retirement in 1920.
1: Could you imagine, like, being hired by Albert Gunther? Like, and like...
0: Like, you're just,
1: my guy. Yeah, like, and like, it's just amazing. Sorry, go on. Uh,
0: after his retirement from the British Museum, he studied roses and published 34 papers on botanical subjects and two volumes on the roses of Europe. He died in St. Malo, France. Very According cool. to biographical accounts, he was incredibly methodical and had an amazing memory that enabled him to remember every specimen and scientific name he ever saw. He also had extraordinary powers of writing, seldom made a second draft of anything he wrote, and his manuscripts showed but few corrections before going to the publisher. Wow. Bullinger also played the violin, could speak French, German, and English, apart from reading Spanish, Italian, and a bit of Russian. As a zool- zoologist, he also had a working knowledge of both Greek and Latin. By 1921, he had published 875 papers, totaling more than 5,000 pages, as well as 19 monographs on fish, amphibians, and reptiles. The list of his publications and its index of species covers 77 printed pages. He described 1,096 species of fish, 556 species of amphibian, and 872 species of reptiles. He was famous for his monographs on amphibians, lizards, and other reptiles, and fish, for example, his monographs on the fish of Africa. He was a member of the American Society of Ichthyologists and Herpetologists and was elected its first honorary member in 1935. In 1937, Belgium conferred him on the Order of Leopold, the highest honor awarded to a civilian. Wow.
1: That's incredible.
0: His son, Edward George Boulenger, born 1988, Passed away in 1946, was also a zoologist and held the post of director of the London Zoo Aquarium.
1: That's awesome, man! Incredible history. Uh,
0: in 1897, King Leopold II of Belgium started to recruit naturalists to help create the Congo Museum. Boulenger was named chairman of this commission. Wow. His main discovery in 1921 was a strange fish from the Congo. It was eyeless and lacked pigmentation. He recognized it as new and unrelated to any extant epigean species of Africa. He wrote a brief paper describing this species of cave fish, the first ever described from Africa. He called it uh, Sacobarbus Geertsi, Geertsi honoring a mysterious person, M. Geertz, who provided him with the specimen. Today, it is known as the Congo or African blind barb. Wow,
1: that's so cool, man! So, um, so there's a handful.
0: Of, oh, there's 26 reptile species recognized today bear his name. Wow, uh, Agama bulangari, Anolis bulangarianus, a Tractaspis bulangarii, Oh yeah, a Tractus bulangari, centipede snake,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, Brachymelis boulangeri. I see something that people would probably recognize. Uh, Elapsidae Belengarai. It's Belinger's Garter Snake. Yeah. Did a lot of African stuff, which I think was cool. Um, Ganyasoma Gany- belingeri, Rhino Rats. Um, let's see. Ramphileon the Belinger's Pygmy Chameleon. Tracheboa bolingeri, which is the northern eyelash boa, which I think is really cool. In the above list, a binomial authority in parentheses indicates that the species would really described in a genus other than the genus to which it's currently assigned. Uh, the water cobra genus bulingarina was mm-hmm. named for G.A. Bollinger, but is now treated as a subgenre of Naya containing four species. Anulata
1: Christi. Wow, they're, already, they're already up to four. Uh, I guess so. That's nuts, man. I and then
0: there's up. a couple fish named after him. And yeah. So you see the name a lot. The guy was busy. Yeah.
1: It's very <laughs> awesome stuff, man.
0: Let's see some pictures. Um, pull some up. So, I mean, yeah, like, there's him, there's Schlegel. um, Cope is another one that you see a lot. We could... Just every, you know, periodically, once a month, twice a month, (coughs) talk about... uh, Yeah. George Albert Boulanger. He looks like a man who takes this shit seriously. JT, your wife says hello.
1: What's up, Mike Stefani? We see you lurking. Yeah, man. The guy's distinguished as hell. Let's
0: see i need to do the let me see how old was he when he how long did he live would you say he died in 37
1: 1937 uh 1858
0: to 1937 yeah very cool man he was 79
1: yeah i and mean that's
0: that's a pretty damn good run for that time period man not
1: just not just 79 but 79 traveling colonial africa and europe going through a world yeah. war yep absolutely incredible and making it stateside too that's awesome it really makes you wonder if when you have someone like him who could read and write multiple languages, who had a comprehensive knowledge of ancient Greek and Latin, who could speak four or five languages. Right. Is it is it because guys like him were cut from a different cloth or is it because we as the modern era have television and movies and and multiple forms of literature not just books that our mental capacity is like for example can he speak five languages and i can't but i know how to operate all the electronics in my life you know what i'm saying did that make sense yeah
0: yeah his son only lived to fifty eight. Oh wow. That's interesting. Wonder if he was uh if he was in the war.
1: I think he's probably too old. Yeah, no, by that point you're right. Yeah. What he would have been in his well, he would have been in his fifties. Yeah. So I'm sure a man of his status probably didn't have to he said
0: you can't go we need you for science yeah but just imagine man like being you know i think a rhino rats in particular when i when i see this name you know for obvious reasons like going to to china or vietnam and seeing a rhino rat for the first time and not having a clue as to what it is yeah you know and then it's just, it's wild. You know, I, we talked about it in the past, too, about, um, you know, the colonists and stuff when they first get here, like, seeing coral snakes for the first time. Yeah. And that kind of stuff. Like, someone had to be the the first first one to grab that thing and be like, let's see what this is all about. Oh, yeah. You know? But I would imagine at that point, having having been so many places, whether he went to China and Africa, you know, which came first, who knows, but, like, That's a lesson I would imagine you only have to really learn once and have probably watched somebody else do it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Or you're like, wait, we've never seen these before. Let's not touch them. Yeah. Yeah. But what a fine chop, Billy Jenkins. Yeah, man.
1: Super cool, man. Super cool.
0: Man, I need to I thing. need you to send me so I have a couple names written down, but I need you to, to send me some that you think of or if you if you're reading a book and you notice some, like help your boy out. Yeah. Cause I know I'm forgetting some. Normally I can oh, rattle of off a couple that I'm I'm thinking of off the top of my head, but
1: I'm yeah. drawing a
0: blank. Just uh You know, even that that atheris book going back to that. You know, the author of that did a really good job of talking about the the history of the taxonomy with the different species and how one person would find uh, not specifically mentioned, but for example, like broadly eye, so atheris broadly eye. But then another person would come and find the same snake, not knowing the other person had found it, and so they'd list it as something else. But then at some point that information would come together and they'd be like, okay, here's what I found. Here's what you found. This is what we can settle on. Um, just not having... I mean, it's such a hard concept for us to wrap our heads around now because it's like the lack of technology. If you wanted to to see holotypes and, and get this information, you had to go to the museums and you had to find those yeah. specimens and do it like... It's just amazing that there was we were even able to be that organized. You know what I mean? To where we yeah. could be like, wait, someone's already seen this, you know, and of course this is probably a, a, several years long process. It's not like now where, you know, you can hop on a plane tomorrow and be in another country, you know, in 16, 24 hours, 48 hours, you know, then it was like, you're having to go from, from one country to another, just to go to those museums and see these things and then find out someone else has already sort of, looked at that species and, and done their their homework on it.
1: For sure. The um I'm trying to look in my notes right now, but I'm pretty sure it oh, was Bronger Smile. Yeah, that's a good one. Oh yeah, Bronger Going on the list. Nice, nice. Yeah, I'm pretty sure um it wasn't I know Bullinger renamed Nephrus levis to Nephrus platyurus, and then Glenn Milton Store brought back and made the subspecies, you know, Levis Levis, Pilvarensis, all that. Because uh, that's another one, Glenn Milton Store, man. Well, what I would have done to have met him before he passed. Um, I think it, w- it might have been maybe Asper. So, one of the East Coast knobtails. Um, was described i think it was asper was described by uh, arthur gunther uh, 1876 as i believe as asper and or no i'm sorry as i think it was as levis and it was off of a photograph in the mail in post a handwritten it's not a photograph there was no photographs back then excuse me but well there was but i digress a hand-drawn illustration of what we would now know as levy's levis, that was mailed to him and said that it was from i guess western australia or like out of perth or something but that's actually where the post came from so he wrote this whole description of this new gecko and then the one they sent him in as specimen was actually asper from queensland So then he wrote the whole thing on this specimen, which clearly did not look like the illustration he was first sent. And then the original, I'm pretty sure the original document that he wrote, the original description was Asper, but out of Perth. And obviously Asper don't come from Perth or something to that extent. But it just goes to show you that he never saw the animal in the wild. It was, it was just given to him across the ocean on boat that took weeks, if not months to get to him. And like now, now I take a picture with my smartphone that I keep in my pocket. And with the the blink of an eye, it's, you know, to my friend in Japan or whatever. So wild. Sorry, I butchered that story and drug it out so long.
0: Let's see. Kids Encyclopedia, George Albert Bullinger. That's the same thing that was on Wikipedia. Ain't nothing new here.
1: Uh, yeah, Mike, Mike Stefani says that Entericia perthensis is not found in Perth. <laughs> so there you go.
0: So I don't know. I hope I hope people find that interesting. Again, that's something yeah. that uh, you know we see these names and things a lot, but we very very rarely, unless we go and search for it, know sort of the the story of these individuals and it's like after yeah. reading that authors book and seeing the amount of work and stuff that it takes especially when you're considering some of these species that are just buried in their range like almost you can't even get to them they're so so removed from from any right easy travel or anything like that uh you know it's it's pretty incredible that people were able to even do that
1: yeah but. for sure and I, I actually, as much as Wikipedia can be misleading or false information because it's Wikipedia, I still love going down the, the name rabbit hole. Ooh. Excuse me. So you go and you, you look at Bollinger, right? And you're reading about him. And it maybe references Albert Gunther, right? Because I'm a huge fan of Albert Gunther. And then i go down i click his link and now i go down his page and then it's somehow whatever it goes to an article about glenn milton store right and now you're looking at store and you're looking at all his animals and all his discoveries because store wasn't even a, a i mean he was a herpetologist towards the end but he was a um an ecologist so it was you know ecology as a whole um and then you go down rabbit holes about all these different science directions, and Wikipedia just becomes this spider web of links, and it just you just feeds you and feeds you and feeds you, and I, I can't get enough of that shit.
0: So I guess we'll we'll do another one real quick. How about that? Yeah, let's rock and roll. Uh, Spencer Fullerton Baird. There's another one that I looked at a while back. He's there an American, American naturalist, ornithologist, ichthyologist, herpetologist, and museum curator. Nice. Born February 3rd, 1823. Uh, lived until August 19th, 1887. So Daytona just got a little more special. Because that's when we lost the great. In Baird, we
1: trust. Say that. Say those dates one more time for me. Uh, February
0: third, eighteen twenty-three. August nineteenth, eighteen eighty-seven. Eighteen
1: eighty-seven.
0: Wow. Eighteen twenty-three. So he lived until he was sixty-four. Uh, Baird was the first curator to be named at the Smithsonian Institution. He eventually served as assistant secretary of the Smithsonian from 1850 to 1878 and as secretary from 1878 until 1887. He was dedicated to expanding the natural history collections of the Smithsonian, which he increased from 6,000 specimens in 1850 to over 2 million by the time of his death. (laughs) Wow. He published over 1,000 works during his lifetime. He was born in Redding, Pennsylvania. In 1823, his mother was a member of the prominent Philadelphia Biddle family. Don't know what that means. Uh, he was a nephew of Speaker of the Pennsylvania Senate Charles B. Penrose, and the first cousin, once removed, of U.S. Senator Boys Penrose. B-O-I-E-S. Okay. That's weird. Uh, he became a self-trained naturalist as a young man, learning about the field from his brother, William, who was a birder and the likes of John James Audubon, who instructed Baird on how to draw scientific illustrations of birds. Very cool. His father was also a big influence on Baird's interest in nature, taking Baird on walks, gardening with him. He died of cholera when Baird was 10 years old. Damn. As a young boy, he attended Nottingham Ac- Ac- <sighs> Nottingham Academy in Port Deposit, Maryland, and public school in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. He attended Dick Dickinson College, earned a bachelor's and master's degrees, finishing the former in 1840. After graduation, he moved to New York City with an interest in studying medicine. He returned to Carlisle two years later. He taught natural history at Dickinson starting in 1845. While at Dickinson, he did research, participated in collecting trips, did specimen exchanges with other naturalists, and traveled frequently. Uh, Let's see. He was awarded a grant in 1848 from the Smithsonian Institution to explore bone caves and natural history of southeastern Pennsylvania. In 1849, he was given $75 by the Smithsonian Institution to collect, pack and transport specimens for them. It was during this time that he met Smithsonian Secretary Joseph Henry. The two became close friends and colleagues. Throughout the 1840s, Baird's traveled extensively throughout the Northeast and Central United States, often traveling by foot. Baird hiked more than 2,100 miles in 1842 alone. Wow. Wow.
1: Savage. Uh,
0: Let's see. Uh, in 1850, he became the first curator at the Smithsonian Institution and the permanent secretary for the American Association for the Advancement of Science, the latter, which he served for three years. Upon his arrival in Washington, he brought two railroad boxcars worth of his personal collection. Baird created a museum program for the Smithsonian, requesting that the organization focus on natural history in the United States. His program also allowed him to create a network of collectors through an exchange system, he asked that members of the Army and Navy collect rare animals and plant specimens from the west of the Mississippi River and the Gulf of Mexico. In order to balance the collection, Baird sent duplicate specimens to other museums around the country, often exchanging the duplicates for specimens the Smithsonian needed. Brilliant. During the 1850s, he described over 50 new species of reptiles, some by himself and others with his student Charles Frederick Girard... Their 1853 catalog of the Smithsonian Snake Collection is a benchmark work in North American herpetology. Baird also was a mentor to herpetologist Robert Kennicott, who died prematurely at which point Baird left the field of herpetology to focus on larger projects.
1: Wow. So now, who described Baird's rats? We're getting there.
0: Uh, so he died on August 19th, 1887 upon Baird's death. The art and industries building was draped with a mourning cloth. Uh, he was buried at Oak Hill Cemetery. Don't know where that is. Baird Sparrow, a migratory, migratory bird native to Canada, Mexico, and the United States is named after him. A medium-sized shore board shore bird known as Baird Sandpiper is also named after him. Baird Auditorium in the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History is named in his honors, located in the National Mall side of the first floor of the museum. His wife, Mary, donated his stamp collection to the National Museum. His papers are held in the Smithsonian Institution Archives. Wow. Uh, let's see. Good Lord, he's got a lot of stuff named after him. Yeah. Crabs, lobsters, Baird's rat snake, Baird's patch nose snake.
1: Baird's donuts.
0: Yeah. He has a taper named after him.
1: Really? Yeah.
0: Baird's Hmm. pocket gopher, Baird's beaked whale. Modeled sculpin. Very cool. A genus of drumfishes was named after him.
1: Well, let's be real here. you, you got to go to the snake page. F- find out who first described that's the bear's rat. Let me see if I can pull it up here. Someone
0: has been considered a subspecies of obsoletis, which it's not, to which it is closely related
1: often been replaced. It doesn't say. If you go to... um,
0: So it has someone named Yarrow next to that
1: yeah but that's gonna be the most recent revision. That was
0: 1860 oh really
1: yeah let me see i have um it sucks all my books are packed man it sucks Hold on. Huh. All right. So I have the synonyms. So, yeah, it looks like it was Yarrow in 1880 and it was Kaluber Baird Eye. And then Downing in 1952 made it elafe obsoleta baird eye then content and collins in 91 1991 just put it as elafe baird eye and space. then it and then it just went back and forth back and forth back and forth yeah. and now we're at the more recent penthrophis. so tyson cool. dallas
0: said baird's pocket gopher is the preferred diet of the louisiana pine snake
1: really Look at that. Interesting. Lisa
0: said she loved that movie Master and Commander. She just wished it was more about the doctor slash naturalist character.
1: Oh, for sure. For sure.
0: It would be cool if they did a movie. Uh, and I'm sure they've done one about like Darwin or something. But something that just like really showed the the grimness of that whole lifestyle. And Yeah. Like that was hard living, dude. We have it so easy now. It's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah
1: air conditioning. Oof. That's something I think about
0: sailing. all the time. Like you think about all the layers and stuff they wore back then.
1: Well, I, I know the climate was a lot cooler, but still, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. But even then, like you're, I, I have a hard time believing that summers weren't still brutal. And it's like, you don't have AC. I think a lot of them actually, the architecture was built in a way that like cross breezes, Oh, kind of sure. used but like you think about like you know colonials like the giant dresses that, that women were wearing and the oh, freaking yeah. five layers of suits that the dudes were wearing and just yeah Wild. insane wow but I don't know I want to it would be cool if, if there was a book that sort of Put together the the original sort of fathers of herpetology.
1: Looks like you have an idea there. <laughs> Looks like you have an idea there.
0: Yeah, but that's something like Michael Berger did such a good job on the Dragon Traders. I Feel like that would be something that would be right up his alley.
1: Sure, sure, absolutely.
0: I wonder if there's a. Like he has like if any of them have like great great grandchildren that are doing the same thing. Who
1: knows, man? Who knows?
0: As you think about like mid nineteen hundreds, that's not that long ago. Yeah, it's not that far removed from now. And they only bathed on Saturday. Ugh,
1: horrible. Yeah, sharing bathtubs, sharing bathtub water.
0: Ugh. And then we wonder why everyone got cholera and syphilis and all that other yeah. stuff. Oh Jesus.
1: And then imagine being the person who had to scrub the tub out after ten people used it that day. Ugh.
0: Or being the last guy that has to use it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and still paying the full price. <laughs> you ain't getting clean, man. Ugh, God.
0: I just—I'd rather wait another week. I think, and somehow manage to get first in line. Well,
1: just find a creek or a river or something. Bring a bar of soap, like pioneers. Oof. Pass. But yeah I think this is a good segment i think it's 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 good fun, and hopefully our listeners and or viewers can uh do some googling on their own and go down some rabbit holes. you know that's right founding fathers of herpeticulture.
0: I lose power for an hour and I want to kill
1: <laughs> <laughs> Comment sections on fire
0: that's why they had their hoop and stick yeah, right and other stupid ass toys.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. I always want to learn how to play the Fife, though. I think it'd be cool as hell.
0: All the time, Fife. Yeah, right. You're on point, Tip. All the time, Fife. <laughs> how many Clarecas you got right now? Two. Are they both okay. little tiny guys?
1: Uh, No, one's probably what we would normally consider a yearling, but it's probably two or three years old, if I had to guess. And then the other one is the other one's probably about a year old. I mean, I got it when it was geez, days old. I'm pretty sure I gave it its first meal, yeah. which is the one that was on uh Instagram Live. So that's the one that's in that deli cup I just showed you. And do that thing they colouring up slow... like crazy.
0: Those in squams in general I mean, are you know those pretty slow growers.
1: Yeah, I think they're they're slow growers, but I also feed them big meals less often i do like probably not what i'm supposed to like realistically that little baby i showed you should probably have like maybe a pinky head every four or five days i give it a whole pinky once every other week because like i fed um, it was, i fed it on what's today today's monday yep yeah i fed her on or it excuse me on thursday night and it still has a massive lump. And it's a pinky. Should have cut it. It was alive, dude. Oh, never yeah. mind. Yeah, no, I, I give them live.
0: So don't, I mean, I, don't be a freak. Don't cut live mice.
1: Yeah, don't no, don't cut live mice. So, in fact, I do have a, most of my baby stuff. I give live just because it's easier. And then once they get to that yearling size, it's just muscle memory for them. And I just yeah. I just switch them out, you know. And I won't lie, I give the cerastes specifically live because they're just in sand. So like it yeah. doesn't matter how good I dry the prey item off from thawing, it it's gonna it's get dusted. Yeah, it's getting dusted. While as a live one, there's barely any. So yep, yep, yep.
0: But uh Yeah, that was something the book emphasized a lot was you know, with Clorechus in particular and, and a lot of the other species is that, you know. The feeding schedule for for atheris needs to be pretty sparing because they can get fat real easy. Yeah, you know, they seem a lot like condors in that regard, and it seems like chloricus in particular. You know, from what I've heard from you and other people that have kept them, and that book is like they're very sedentary. Very. You know, their book was talking about how you'd have adults that won't, they won't move for days; like they'll sit in the same spot. Not move,
1: dude. Weeks, weeks yeah. legit. Well, and what's what's funny is the the baby really doesn't move that much. The other Clorekus, um, dude never moves, like literally never moves, and I make sure that I put the prey item by the snake <laughs> because if I didn't, if I like left a frozen thaw on the other side of the enclosure it was just yeah it, it would just never find it yeah like why does it have to move i spray it it drinks off its body the water bowl is below it so if it wants to drink it can just stretch down still perched like a chondro and drink if it wants to and i again i spray it and then at the same time i put the the prey item right below it and i come back five minutes later it's gone so yeah they're fun man they're cute and they're, 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 I was never a fan of Clorecus because I'm not a big green snake guy, but these two are definitely growing on me. I'm glad I kept two of them.
0: Those babies come out the same size as squams.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I also think, uh, unlike squams, I and this could be this is purely anecdotal. Um, I feel like chlorekas get so much bigger than squams that a bigger female chlorecus will drop bigger babies for sure. Cause like the last shipment that I got in I when I th- how many did I have I had like 16 of them and dude some of the adults were freaking huge like the really? biggest atheris I've ever seen oh like a solid 15 inches diesel <laughs> it
0: always cracks me up we're like man that's a big ass atheris it's like how long was it
1: 14 inches <laughs> but do think about it though <laughs> I mean the thing's probably almost two inches in diameter and 15 inches long?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that's... Yeah. And the, the freaking head that Chloricus especially have on them. Yeah. And it's like, there's, yeah, it's there's like no wonder ball. that those things, those things pack a hell of a punch. Yeah, for sure.
1: For sure. So.
0: I also find it very interesting, though, that those in Squam seem to do really well as far as, like, imports adjusting to captivity when there's so many other species that in that genus that don't yeah it's odd
1: i think it's also that chlorecus and squam and Jera are that much more tolerant and we are not as accommodating as we should be and yes in terms what's, of what's up scott and yes i agree that they Probably have both their own species complexes. Um, What were you saying, Smitty?
0: You were saying... uh, Like, tolerances. Yeah, so if you take a... In regards to, like, what we're feeding them? Or what do you like? No,
1: just general husbandry. So, like, if you take a, a, a squam, which is... And again, this is purely anecdotal, and I'm not condoning the mistreatment of animals... But if you took a squam and you stuck it on paper towels with a stick and a water bowl, it would be perfectly fine at room temperature and live its whole life happy and just eat what's in front of it because it's a squam and it doesn't care. But something like a uh, serratophora, no, there's got to be airflow. There has to be a humidity gradient. You have to have a higher a higher dew a dew point in the morning that gradually tapers to an afternoon high dry heat and then slowly as night falls the temperature drops and then come two three in the morning the dew point hits 76 degrees fahrenheit and by morning everything is covered in a thin layer of moisture like like you need fans to to pull from the top of the enclosure and, and and exit out the front or exit out the sides and the bottom. Like there needs to be a more more of a dynamic and squams. They just don't care, right? You know what I mean? They're just like, oh well, I mean, eye. I think
0: you can look at the ranges of of and squams in particular, and right. that that can tell you a lot. It's like you yeah. see the range of squams compared to every other species. and It's like okay, it kind of makes sense as to why they would. Be able to fare pretty well in just about anything you give them, you know, because right. they're they're the most widespread species of that whole genus, you know. Yeah, you know, assuming that it's a singular species and not split up, but yeah, the diet thing too. The book mentioned that a lot. A lot of those species in that in that genus are um, rodents are kind of a secondary diet thing. It's mostly lizards and frogs seem to be right. the bulk of a lot of them. So yeah and i
1: do attribute my minute amount of hispita success the hispita the hairy bush viper um to the fact that i was feeding it tree frogs but i was also keeping it as if i was keeping the tree frogs so it had uh basically open top there was no ventilation on the side so it stayed muggy in there and it retained that humidity um and my whole thought process was initially it wasn't for the snake. It was for if the snake didn't eat the frogs, the frogs would survive perfectly fine in that enclosure. And mm-hmm. I hindsight, I feel like it it did benefit the snake a thousand percent, whether it's breathing in water vapor, like chameleons or it just enjoyed being in that soupy pea soup thickness. It, it definitely kept the thing alive. I mean, I had the thing like seven, eight months and then I, and then I got rid of it and I sold it. So, Hmm.
0: What are your thoughts on using ExoTerra versus you know, Visions or Black Box stuff in general?
1: It, it comes down to, for Venomous, so ExoTerra style. We'll call it ExoTerra style, whether it be ZooMed or Zilla or ExoTerra, whatever. Right. A screen top that is removable with um, cable lock management in the back. Uh, and then a door in the front that is front opening, whether it be a double door or a single door with some kind of substrate dam, ventilation on the bottom, and sealed for moisture, right? So there we go. We'll call it the EXO style. I think, first of all, they're very aesthetically pleasing, especially if you're doing tropical stuff. Um, I also feel like it, there's no reason why you couldn't keep venomous in it, providing that you take the safety protocols and procedures into effect and you <clears throat> excuse me, make it safer than it is. Because as it comes out of the box, it is not safe at all.
0: So what are you changing out of the box?
1: Well, first things out of the box is uh, I have to, uh, excuse me. I want to learn how the latch works in the front. So if the latch is a turn style latch, I need to make sure that there is something keeping that latch tight. So it's not turning. Right. Um, If it has a hole through it for like a little mini lock, I want something that I can put through there to prevent it from opening on its own or from that tension being weakened and fall. Um, If the door has little locks on it, like the Zillas do, um, they come with these little pin stops. I'll put the pin stops in. And then what I did is I took twisty ties and I, I put twisty ties or zip ties onto the pin stops so I could use hemostats to grab the pin stop and lift the pin stop out without putting my hand on the enclosure um I also would have put extra mesh screening on the front ventilation holes because if it's something like an eyelash viper I don't know how baby how small those babies are going to come out and I don't need little babies to be slithering through the ventilation holes um and then the same thing goes for the top screen um I make some kind of spacer whether it be out of plastic or wood where I've got a second layer of screening that's sitting on top of the existing screen that's at least two inches thick so god forbid something gets out through the screen on top it has another level of screen and better yet if somebody leans on the tank or i put my hand on there accidentally nothing is going to bite through nothing that fits in that size enclosure is going to be able to bite through that two inch gap of screen so little things like that to better safety safety safetyfy that exo style enclosure um, I also have a problem with the double doors and the single doors that are very, very tall. They're very, the very, the extreme arboreal ones. The locks at the bottom, and if the snake pushes at the top, it can actually push the door open just enough on a hinge. On a There's nothing. Point.
0: Yeah, it's got right. more give at the top than it does at the bottom.
1: Exactly. So you got to have some kind of, even if it's just painter's tape, you know, blue painter's tape or masking tape. It's ugly, but It will keep those doors from opening something like that. And even still, I can fold the painter's tape over and make like a little handle. So, again, like the pin stops, I can grab that tape with hemostats and peel it off with the hemostats. And I don't have to put my hand directly onto the glass.
0: I sent Iber the link.
1: Prepare yourself. I I just noticed he was he was chiming in. There we go. Hello. Oh, look at, oh, him well, look at
2: the headset. Look at guy. Look at ah. guy. Look at because every time I talk, every time I talk in the car, you guys are like, "What the hell's going on? I can't hear anything." And I was like, "Right, okay, well, I'll put a headset on, and then you won't get the reverberation." Yeah,
1: look at him, Buck Rogers in the twenty-first hey. century.
2: That's it. That's it. How are we guys?
0: Looking like Maverick and Top Gun, man. boy. It's good. We miss yeah,
2: it. Yeah, 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 Mate, it's been a while. I've been bloody busy. So um, this is what happens when I'm writing. So I just like disappear. So um you gotta do what yeah. you gotta do. I have do. been listening. I just haven't been uh, haven't been cracking on like everything. So how's things right, going man. anyway?
1: Cool, man. Good. Same old thing hey, was good straight. news.
2: Oh, mate, the stuff that you're talking about, those atheras, I reckon half the problem is is that we keep them like we try and keep everything else.
1: Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we our, keep
0: them like copperheads?
2: Yeah. See, this is the big fuck up, the big misnomer in the hobby, right, is that people go, oh, this stuff, this thing's hard to keep. It's not hard to keep. You just can't keep it like everything else. Yeah. Right? So yeah. what what people have got to understand is that, you know what, 30 degrees or what's that, uh, 90, 92 degrees Fahrenheit or whatever is – is not the magic figure for every single fucking species out there. You know, not everything wants 45% humidity and, you know, wants food on Fridays and is happy to eat rodents. And so that's our starting point, it seems like, for just about everything when it first comes in, right? And so then people go, oh, well, actually, I maybe don't need to feed something else or I need to try a different temperature or I need to do this or I need to do that. And then the other thing that people have, people do is they go oh well i'll just look at what the temperature is in in x and what they forget is that there's huge temperature fluctuations in locations right so as an example right i'm in southeast queensland where i'm in southeast queensland i'm in a cold dry area in winter right but in summer it becomes really hot now 25 kilometers So the crow flies, rainforest, right? It doesn't get as low in temperature, and it doesn't get as hot in temperature at any time, compared to so the swings aren't the same. The relative humidity is higher, and even though it's only twenty-five kilometers apart from each other on a map, there's a huge difference in the temperatures and the and the climatic conditions that those animals are exposed. Yeah. Now, if you've got an animal that's been sitting there on the top of a hill, right, and it's being grabbed by somebody and thrown into a box, it sits in a box at the wrong temperature for three weeks or four weeks, and then eventually goes on a boat and then or a car or a plane or whatever, comes across to the US or to Europe, it's probably been sitting in a box for a month for the most part. Now, if it's been sitting in the box for the most part in adverse conditions or conditions that are outside of its, its normal, normal zone, that animal's fucked you know you might be able to keep it alive for a little while but it's essentially trashed and that's why you have issues with with some of these species getting through um particularly now where it's got to go from one country to another country that you know in, in the case of some of those atherus species they don't export out of those countries anymore and that's why you can't get them for the most part you know, they get smuggled from one border across one country in Africa to another one that allows the exportation to get, for it to go out, and then eventually it goes out. But then the problem is, is those animals can't deal with that amount of downtime before they end up being looked after properly. I suppose. Would you agree with that, Phil?
1: Yeah, I would say it is better nowadays than it used to be. But it's you're spot on, man. You're you're absolutely spot on. I feel like the. <laughs> I feel like the the exporters know that the days of just shipping copious amounts of animals willy-nilly are over and they have to dare I say yep. not necessarily protect their investment but they actually have to give a shit about it. So they're not necessarily just throwing it in a box anymore but you're yeah but you're right it goes from their half-ass enclosure their bush enclosure to a Swiss airline freighter to a tarmac, to a tarmac, to a tarmac. It's gone up 30,000 feet in elevation and pressure change and it's dehydrated. Yep. Its brain has been rattled from jet airline turbulence, right? And then now I put yep. it in an exoterra cage thinking, oh, it's all happy. It's not the case. You're right.
2: Yeah, and because the animals are so resilient, they look all right for a month. <laughs> they're completely fucked on the inside, but they look okay for a month and then they, they drop dead. You know, yeah, um, yeah. And, and the same thing too, right? We're seeing the evolution of the keeper out there. More people are learning better ways of keeping animals alive, and that way, we're starting to see success in species that we weren't seeing success in before, right? Um, at the same time, though, um, what is a what's your metric for success? Is it keeping it alive? Is that success? Is there's, being there's able to breed it to success? It. You know. There's there's a whole heap of different levels, of, and that's what I'm saying, is what successful keeping is. And I think that's slowly changing as well. I think what people are going – people used to measure success on we kept it alive to people now keeping it to, to breed and then getting second- and third-generation captive breed, breeding are a more or less class of success now, I suppose.
0: Yeah. I mean, that was the approach I took with the when I first got the chance, and I was like, okay, you know, first things first, keep it alive. You know, once we got that down pat mm-hmm. after a couple months you know a year whatever it was like okay now I can start to focus more on like what do I need to be doing to get eggs and it was like okay yeah. hey, now that step is how do I keep these eggs afloat you know are they good are they bad whatever what am I doing wrong if they're bad what what parameters am I not meeting that might be causing this is it just the animal is it me is it a combination of both who knows so it's like it's, it's that it's definitely not a, like a, a single A to B sort of trip yeah you know it's, there's a lot of a lot of stops along the way, but it is focusing on that first stop and then going yeah. to the next going to the next going to the next.
2: For me, I, like I regard success as being able to not only able to breed it be able to breed it multiple times. Right? Yeah. So it, it, breeding it once anyone can can throw something together and, and luck out um, and get something happening. But to me, you've got to be able to reproduce it, and um, as long as you've, you've bred them a couple of times, then you can probably say you're relatively successful with the species. Um, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be successful with all of the the, the phenotypes that that sit within a species as well or a subspecies. So, um, yeah, I, I suppose that it's just the cautioning of of how do you deem success, and then the same thing is that. You know, how do you go about actually trying to tweak things to make it better, right? So the other question that keepers need to ask themselves is, okay, I can keep it like this. I know I can keep it alive like this. And I know I can do this. But should you as a keeper then start to tweak things and maybe experiment by putting the basking spot up a couple of degrees, making make me go for a little bit longer and seeing if that has an impact on the animal and if that's actually better for the animal? Because if we sit there, and I think we do this as a risk of, of all keepers we go oh this works and then we don't want to change anything right but we don't really know if we're doing a really good job at all we think we're doing okay but we never actually push the boundary a little bit and try and see if a oh, slightly hot to, hotter temperature is better for the animal
1: yeah their whole the and old so that's one equality. thing
2: that we're starting to try and do we're trying to try and tweak things a little bit and mm-hmm. hey sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't you can always go back to to your safe zone so to speak um yeah but yeah, it's I, I don't know. I've i found that it's it's certainly different with certain species that i, I get. I found that I don't necessarily keep everything the same way that I used to these days because of that.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think Smitty would agree too. I think that there is a, a very much an old school mentality of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. While as the new school mentality is try and change it a little bit. And like Scott said, if it doesn't work, just go back to what you had. You know, and there is definitely a difference in the new school or the the up and coming keepers where people from our generation, per se, would say things like, oh, yeah, that thing dies really well because we tried <laughs> to keep it like a ball python or we tried to keep it like a squam or we tried to keep it like a bearded dragon. It's like, no, it's not that they die well. It's that we didn't know what we were doing and we failed miserably. You know, so yeah,
2: yeah, and that doesn't mean too that, that that the people that were doing it were a bad keeper or anything like that. Yeah, it's no, just no, that no, they no, did no, the best what I, they could with what they knew at the time, right? And sure. you know, uh, uh, I don't know. I think that anyone that just keeps the same way that they've always kept and doesn't want to look to something new is is shooting himself in the foot
1: for sure. I mean,
0: it's like what we mentioned earlier with the subox and stuff like the way we're going to keep subox is not going to be the same that we're going to keep corn snakes. Is it going to be similar in, in, you know, more than one way? Absolutely. But there's definitely nuances in the way you you unfortunately have to learn that sometimes because the lesson repeats as necessary is, you know, you end up losing animals and then you have to kind of look at it from a, you know, a top down or bottom up approach and sort of adjust from there and figure out again. You know, is it me? Is it the animals I'm getting? Is it both?
2: You know. It's like everything though, you've got to start somewhere, don't you? You know, and there's, yep. Yep. You, you know, you you go, all right, okay, I'm gonna start at this point and now I'm gonna tweak from here, you know. So yeah. How's things going over there anyway, guys? How's it all been?
1: It's good seems Complain. like it's been
2: ages since I've been on.
1: It ha- it has so. been a long time, brother. I uh oh, just man. cause we're on just because we're on the topic. So yeah. I have I have gotten not not i don't want to call it success but i have gotten some success with the stiletto project to the point where now uh, i had i had animals eating in front of me and then they just died so uh, it, was, uh, really? it was not success oh, yeah fuck. so i went from 4 down to 1 and then i managed to get 3 more from a friend and now these three, the, the, the four that I have now are the best ones I've ever had. And I don't know if it's because the animals themselves are better specimens or it's because yeah. I've learned so much. You know what I mean?
2: So what so, did you do wrong? Or what did you think you did wrong?
1: <clears throat> I think I was keeping them too cool. And I feel like when I got them to eat, I jumpstarted the metabolism and I wasn't feeding them enough.
2: See, I wonder, right, with something like that, would it be better to have a, an enclosure that's, like, two feet deep,
1: right? Oh, oh for sure, for and sure. Ba- and bake
2: the fuck out at the top of it. Yeah, right? no, my
1: thoughts exactly, my thoughts exactly. And
2: then, and then basically have a thermal gradient that goes top down
1: through the soil. Yeah,
2: yeah. But I don't know how you'd manage that, right? That seems to be fucking hard to try and replicate. In yeah, activity.
1: I also had what I believe to be some kind of ovulation I mean for lack of a better word ovulation I mean I don't even know what to call it because it was a female that went into a really weird looking shed cycle and was doing this yeah. weird sideways Woma Python inverted side belly thing and I was thinking man I should just throw a male in there and see what happens and I stopped myself because I was like no I know she does not have she does not have enough caloric intake to handle that at all. I just know she doesn't. And at the same time, what am I going to do if I hatch these things out? Yeah. <laughs> you know like, like new... new frontier, man. Uh, yeah. So I'm like, you know what? Mate, once I if I can keep these four going for the next year and she does that shit again, I'll do it. Fuck it. And document yeah. everything. And you just do- and right. And exactly exactly
2: man i've seen some i've seen some fucking sickly looking animals that were grabbed, i eh?
1: yeah yeah but to, i've seen but, some
2: sickly yeah. looking animals that were grabbed. and yeah. i don't and think I, 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 you know i don't think they get a choice in the in the scrub
1: yeah but i'm not but i'm gonna. i want to give her the best life possible you know what i mean i don't want to it i don't want to do that just yet that's what I'm saying. I yeah, but
2: is it, but is the best life possible the ones that you're dealing with then, or are the captive born babies that you're going to be working with?
1: That is very true. But then again, what the hell do you feed a neonate attract Aspis? Well, that's, that is smaller that's the than a cocktail. Straw? No one knows. No one knows. Exactly.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Has anyone you know? tried?
2: Has anyone tried breeding them?
1: Uh, no. I, I, I reckon
2: think... they'll be, I reckon they'll be skink feeders.
1: I don't think
2: maybe centipedes you know what maybe centipedes.
1: I, I actually was actually thinking centipedes and isopods to be honest. But I don't, I don't think so anyone's centipedes. done it. I don't think anyone's done it on purpose, but I know that they've had wild caught specimens in Africa that dropped clutches and the clutches hatched and then they let the babies go. So.
2: <laughs> like, yeah, this is like this is too fucking hard. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Give it a crack. I reckon you probably, you might be able to get them one of mouse parts.
1: I mean, dude, they're literally the size of, like, when they're born, I can't, I can't imagine how tiny they are. They've got That's to be, like, blind, blind snake snakes. Size. Yeah. yeah, it's got to be. And then I was thinking, well, shit, maybe I'll just feed them blind snakes.
2: I've hatched they're... out blind
1: snakes. Well, not your blind snakes, the, 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 brine, the bimini ones. The
2: yeah, the b- b- yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've hatched out, I've hatched out blind snakes. Or, or oh, we okay. got a roadkill one. Oh wow we got a, Because we're, we're a carer right? So we have people Bring shit to us And anyway we, we got, I got this Heavily gravid uh, Blind snake That had been hit by a car And I looked at it And I'm like I'm going to cut the eggs out of it And see what happens yeah. Cut the eggs out of it And hatch the eggs out 36 oh, days my. later 11 of 11 eggs Happy days wow. Out they came Excellent Excellent So we GPSed Where the, where the female Had come from The roadkill female And then we took All the babies back And let them all go so, that's excellent um that's excellent. they were bigger than i thought too hey eh? the babies were actually quite large
1: um, oh really like so, you third,
2: yeah but a the, the uh, uh the female was 460 millimeters svl okay. uh and the babies were about 80 mil total length
1: yeah i was gonna say what, um, 100 i imagine the eggs got larger as time went on too you know
2: yeah as the, the eggs did get larger um and they're they're a fairly heavily bodied species of wy snake too. These ones, so, um, yeah. but yeah, it was it was certainly cool. But the interesting thing was when the eggs came out, they didn't look like normal snake eggs. They were a bit more waxy sort looking, and ones. I was like, oh, they might be fucking no, really rectangular. Hey, eh? it really? was it was really quite weird. Yeah, I'll yeah. I'll send through some photos um, and put them in the snakes and Ziggy's chat for so people who are on the chat group. They'll get to see it. Other people, well, it's such a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. but. Uh, if you know, you know, um, but yeah, they, they hatched out in 36 days. Wow. That was the other thing that like threw me. Um, and yeah, 11 of 11 eggs hatched.
1: So and you said they were, was they were cool. more leathery,
2: uh, really waxy, waxy, almost like a slug. Interesting. You know, when you first see a slug, right. And it's not bright, you know, how sometimes you get those slugs that aren't bright yellow. They're the, like yeah. the creamy looking slugs and yeah, waxy yeah. and you know. I then uh, you know within usually within four or five hours though they, they lose that waxiness to them and they turn into a good looking egg right like a good looking reptile egg if they 're not a slug. well, these things just stayed waxy all the way through
1: interesting interesting
2: um, incubated yeah. them over water, patched out 100 percent right
1: that reminds me of um, you know, it reminds me of the cerastes that give birth to the Almost fully developed egg, you know what I'm talking about, and they yeah. hatch like three weeks, yeah, later, yeah. You know, 30 That's, days. Yeah, over. the
0: Dions are like that too.
1: Yeah,
2: what it's else? Super- it, there's um, isn't there is ovovus, ovus, Ovavosis? Ovavosis?
1: Uh, I think There's, there's one that uh, does that,
2: yeah, uh, Monticola like or like, something like that. I yeah, think the, the eggs uh, like, like three days, uh, three days or something like that. Uh, and yeah. d- d- can is uh, like that as well, aren't they? They're like a really short, um. Yeah, short but I don't think, it's, I don't think as well. it's that
1: short. I think it's more like I think it's more like your blind snake. I think it's more like a month.
2: Yeah, yeah. Whereas you get other things that are like fucking hundred days. Yeah. yeah. But that's even really, then, right? That's yeah, another yeah. interesting thing, right? How often do you? What temperature do you guys incubate at? And have you ever changed your incubation temperature?
1: I do, uh, depending on the not species. On, not on purpose. <laughs> not, not, on not, purpose. <laughs> not on purpose. Not on purpose. Yeah, eighty. My I've always been uh eighty two to eighty three. Yeah, eighty
2: two to eighty three. What about you, yeah. Phil?
0: It depends on the on the species. Um, so like chondro yeah. eggs are gonna are gonna get cooked a little hotter. Um, but like the rhino rats and the the soma stuff, um, I've got those riding at seventy eight, and then corns are gonna be somewhere in between the condors and the rhinos depending on you know what's in the incubator yeah. at the time but i typically normally if it was just Baird's rats or or corn eggs uh then typically i'd keep them at like 80 81
2: yeah right. well so obviously i'm gonna go back to celsius because that's what i know but um yeah. with inland type right so I, I did the first clutch i ever bred of those i incubated them at 31.5 right and wow. I got really good quality hatchlings and, and all the rest of it. And everything is fine. And then this next clutch I did, I got, I did them at 30 and the clutch after that, I did 30, 29.5. The now my incubation temperature for most the now is like 28 and a half.
1: I was literally going to say your, your sweet spot for East coast is 28, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So like 28, 28 degrees for most of the stuff, 28 to 28 and a half. Right. right. And I'm finding now that, yeah, okay, it, it, it takes another 10 to 15 days on the end of the incubation. The babies that come out have got so much better hydration to them. Mm-hmm. They've got better muscle tone. They seem to feed better, and they just seem to be more better adjusted. Um, and so, but I, I've gone too far too. I tried 26, and 26 wasn't good. Um, 26 wasn't too good at all. Um, yeah. But then some of our the colubris that we do, we put them on the bench we don't right. even put them in the incubator yeah. we just yeah. leave them on the bench and there's the reptile room drops down anywhere it goes up to about 26 during the 26 27 during the day and drops down to low 20s at night right now, so the, the eggs are going through literally going through a temperature swing every night of six to seven degrees and they hatch out just fine
1: that's what would happen outside right well, this is the thing. This is what blows people's minds, right?
2: I'm like, yeah, well, well they, don't, they don't have a constant temperature outside. They're all yeah. sitting there and going up and down anyway. So, yeah. you know, stuff that's laying in termite mounds and stuff like that is a little bit different. But
1: Now, um, let me ask you yeah. this. Have you ever uh, – I've, I've only heard of this. No one's ever confirmed or denied it. But on something like the Notecas, as the yep. gestation period is getting longer and longer – do you increase the temperature in the enclosure or, or because it's how it would happen in the wild in terms of like turning into summer?
2: Uh, it depends on when you put them together, right? So if you're putting them together okay. in autumn and they're overwintering the babies, then yeah, you'll, you'll slowly increase. Um, but if they, they've mated in spring, you know, usually by the time that they're, they're dropping um, the temperatures popping out just fine that they've, it might even be coming down on the cooler side at that point, but, but you by, just watch like the animals. The, they'll remember. bask. They'll bask for longer if they want.
1: Oh, that's a good point. I didn't even think of that.
2: You know, yeah, they'll, they'll regulate themselves. So it also yeah. too depends on how you set your enclosures up too. You know, like my my animals are in big enclosures, and so because they're in big enclosures, we've got areas of of fairly significant heat that they've got access to pretty much at all times. Yeah. So if they want to go and shuttle on and sit at forty degrees, they can they're not going to stay at 40 degrees because the enclosure is big enough that, the, that you can, I can have a pretty large hotspot um, in those enclosures. So, I think yeah. that's one of the other issues is that we don't give animals enough choice.
1: Um, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then –
2: oh, I, 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 Sorry, going back to those atherists, right? I yeah. think one of the issues with those atherists is that we're trying to keep animals in a cage, so to speak. We're trying to regulate stuff within an enclosure which is too tight, too tough, right? You're better off trying to regulate the whole room. If you regulate the whole room, then you're probably going to have better success because then you can have things like fans in the room that you know, forces air exchange through the room, but it doesn't put a breeze on the animal. And I think yeah. that's one of the issues that you're seeing with some of those things is that if you've got a breeze that's directly on those animals, like if you go into a rainforest at night, they're not windy places. Rainforests aren't windy, right? Because the trees block all the wind, so they're still, but they've got good air exchange. So how do you get good air exchange? Well, by putting, if you put a fan on an enclosure, right, you're now forcing air in and out of that enclosure, and you're you're basically forming a breeze. Those animals aren't used to having a breeze. Now, if you spray them and they've got a breeze on them, right, through conve um. Uh, through convention, right, those those animals will then get that condensate will then cause those animals to chill on the outside. Yeah. Now, it can chill down one night. That's not a problem. But chilling every night because it's now right. got a breeze going on that animal and then suddenly now you you, you just basically formed an evacu- evaporative air conditioner on the outside of your snake. And that's yeah. one of the issues that you have. So I think with some of that stuff is, yeah, you need good air exchange and you do, you need to have that, nighttime misting but you can't have a breeze going through those enclosures so fans don't necessarily work yeah yeah that's uh,
0: i think even if you had like a computer fan pulling air out i feel like that would be a pretty that would get that yeah draw yeah
2: just drawing air out is probably not so bad as long as you've got a big enough air intake so that the um uh, the air is getting drawn in far enough And where do you draw the air from? Do you draw it from above or do you draw it from below? Does that change it?
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, according to Dick Visser's Viper book, his sketches from like the 70s is drawing from the top down. And that way, if there is any residual moisture, it's going down to the substrate in the water bowl and then out the front of the enclosure. But again, it's species specific. He's talking about, you know, while as we're talking about something yeah. African that's totally different, but happens to be green in a tree.
2: Yeah. I, uh, Yeah. I mean, that stuff that, I mean, it, it's certainly interesting the way that, the Dick Vista set up those enclosures. Um, yeah. But I think, I think to be fair too, you look at those enclosures and those, that enclosure style that would have been done in the, the late 90s, early 80s, late 90s sort of time is when Dick probably did those books, right? Yeah. So if you look at that now, how, how many of you guys are still keeping the same way that you kept in the, in the 80s and 90s and 2000s? Uh,
1: some stuff, but that's out of laziness, not out of proper husbandry.
2: See, I, I'd argue, right, that, you're, that you don't keep the same.
1: Right. No, yeah, well, yes. You, I don't you, have the heat rock I had 20 years ago. You're correct.
2: Right? You don't keep <laughs> the same way. You, you, what what your level of of comfort is around using various methods changes as you progress as a keeper. Um, that's not to say that what Dick was doing is wrong at the time, but I don't think he would be doing that in the same way if he was still doing it today. Yeah. I agree. Um, and so. Yeah, ventilation, air exchange—the principles of drawing air through an enclosure—I think are really important. Um, I'm not necessarily sure you would achieve things in the same way, you know, because there's, there's different ways to do things. You know, you can push air onto a um, onto a wall, right? And then once you push air onto a wall, it can then dissipate. Now, if you put if you push air onto a wall that's got projections on it you will then basically act as a baffle and it will change the the way that the air moves around. And effectively that's what you want to do. You want to have really soft air movement, but you still want to have good air movement through those enclosures. So you could potentially put something if you want to get keep the humidity in there and draw air through, you can put things like HEPA filters on and stuff like that, which will uh, which would retain the moisture from allow, and stop the right. moisture from escaping. Right. But would still allow ventilation exchange.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point.
2: So, you know, there's more than one way to skin that cat, so to speak. But mind you, I haven't seen too many hepa filters in in rainforest when I've been walking around.
1: Very true. Well, they're there. They're just in the form of plants.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. well, that's it. That's it. Well, the transpiration rate of plants is going to add to things as well. Yeah. 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 I think too, right, the muscle tone that that those animals have as well is, is considerably different as well. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, wild animals are, are, are out there and, and every day are sitting there in uh, holding themselves onto tree. They've got exp- trees and branches. They've got access to full-spectrum lighting. Um, they have access to a better diet. The food that they're eating tends to be better because it it's, tends to be leaner as opposed to fatter, right? For so sure. there's all, all different changes there. So there's, there's so many different things and, you know, eventually you'll you'll tweak something and then that'll be enough to get the animals to survive and then you'll keep tweaking and eventually you'll go, oh, yeah, these things are easy to keep. And, like, as a, as a classic example of this, right, um, 30 years ago, 30, 40 years ago, right, there was people that were keeping Lathinotus but they weren't keeping them well. They certainly weren't reproducing them. Um, and yet now people are, are keeping a breeding left and because they've figured out how to do it. It's not that they're, they're hard to keep. It's just that we weren't keeping them right. So I
0: think the, the, you know, the ability or the availability of, of new technologies and stuff definitely has a big hand in that too.
2: Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait for another 10 years when we, we catch up a little bit more to the fish people. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it also, yeah. and and speaking on the fish people topic, you have many, obviously we have to play catch up with both the, the birds and the fish, right? Especially the, the aquascape yeah. and all that. But the same way that the fish guys went to go see where their fish were coming from, I feel like Lathanothus was just kind of like, look at this crazy dragon and now it's like oh no 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 i know exactly what river delta those live in we need to go take temperature readings and and uv index and everything else you know and that's i feel like that that mindset is what's really changed and why people have been so much more successful with them not because they cracked some kind of code but because they actually put some some thought into keeping them and caring for them
2: yeah we'll look at like lepidus gratulus lepidus is an example yeah. right so you know, Lepidus and Cloubera and stuff like that, people go, oh, yeah, I know where that animal's from because of its colour, right? And then people are like, all right, well, I want rocks from that location to put yeah. in my enclosure so my leopardus fit, are, are sitting in the right right position, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they look right. And, man, how awesome is that? How good is that as a keeper is that people yeah. are like, right, I want to do this and this is how I want to keep my animals they're the people that we should be celebrating you know what i mean rather than all right i can keep a i can keep a lepidus in a box that has a water bowl and paper towel and you know and it, the lepidus probably doesn't mind too much to be honest this yeah. way it's being kept but you know i'd i'd much rather see a lepidus in a in an enriched environment i suppose
1: yeah and i'll tell you right now uh, one of my clobberi, i never had any flat facing rocks and it wasn't until we saw them in the wild and the rumors of them stalking or or, or in ambush position looking up not looking down like everything else yeah so i did that and literally the next day i walk in the room and the thing's fucking looking up at the ceiling so
2: there we go and it's using and it's using a little bit of muscle tone. Right exactly. to sit in that particular position, right? Yep. Yep. It's 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 doing things the way it's meant to be doing, right? Now yeah. it probably won't make that much of a difference to that particular uh, cloud, right? right? But from a, a husbandry point of view, but it might. You don't know, right? Because yeah. their heads, are, if they if they sit there, right, and their their whole design is to sit with their heads sticking up at a forty five degree angle for eight to twelve hours a day, right? Yeah, and you know their their blood pressure in their head is going to be slightly less than if the animal's sitting flat. Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. And so while it may not make much of a difference, it might make a difference to the the well being of that animal. Sure, right, sure. So if and as a, as a classic example for that is right, is that if you let if you were lying down with your seat reclined all the time, would you be comfortable as opposed to sitting up? Some people would. Some people, some people would annoy some people. Other people, it doesn't. So uh, it's one of those things that that I do wonder at times whether we should be, you know, tweaking little things all the time and changing things around in enclosures and stuff like that (laughs) to try and see what's better for the animal. A little bit of stress isn't necessarily a bad thing either.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Well, gentlemen, we're at the two-hour mark.
2: All right. Sorry for jumping in. No, it's
1: great, man. We haven't seen you in No, no, not at all. Adding adding to it.
2: (sighs) Cool. All right. Well, much love to everybody. I will catch you on the flip side. Thanks,
1: buddy. Bye. See
2: you, guys. Bye.
1: That was fun. That
0: was. This episode... Once again, brought to you by blackboxcages.com. You like racks? Cool. They've got some awesome ones. You like cages? Awesome. They've got some great ones, too. Buy something. Use the code THN at checkout. Save yourself a little bit of money. And then if you also want to save some money and you also want to use that THN code, go over to fullavisapparel.com, grab some shirts, save yourself 15% off if you're listening to this podcast that is the exclusive discount code for people who listen and watch. Look at that! Look at that, sharp boy. Um, check that out. Got some new stuff that I'll have to put up here soon. And then uh, I'm I'm working on figuring out the international markets thing and being able to sell in Europe and and other you know Australia and stuff like that. Um, Basically the biggest hurdle with that is like the taxes and duties and things like that. And making sure that I've got all the bases covered there. Uh, Yes. Corn stars. This coming Thursday is going to be back. Um, We're going to be joined by Joe Peck. So me and Chris are pretty excited about that. Joe's a really good dude. Um, He's got a ton of awesome stuff. So excited for that. Uh, And then Puget Sound Pythons, check them out on morph market give them a follow also on facebook and instagram great people great animals i mean we're already following a ton of other people so you might as well just hop on over and follow them too so uh thank you everybody bye